The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Six games matching ranked opponents, three games featuring teams 5-0 and or better, and perhaps there's an upset lurking in a place where you would least expect it. This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, October 14th, the day that we make picks. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and the great Bill Connolly joining us. So, Bill, I've, I've been reading your columns and noting things before we dive into picks here. So, do you want to come on the podcast and make a full apology to Texas now? Or are you going to do the same to, to SC? Where do we stand on the SP Plus apology meter? Yeah, I mean, USC, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with USC. They overachieved early like I expected them to, but they've pretty much leveled off. I think it's got a pretty good read of them right now, but Texas... Um, like there, and you know, the Texas Tech loss kind of throws us off the scent, and it also reminds us that they've been terrible in, in close games uh, under Sarkeesian so far. And you know, small samples, we don't know if that's real or not just yet. And it, but you know, it can still trip them up. But just down for down, drive for drive, they have been incredible this season. It took so much for them to lose the Texas Tech game in terms of you know, six for eight on fourth downs for Texas Tech, all that stuff the Tech does. Uh, and they really were. Uh, Bam is equal for the most part uh, as well, even after their quarterback got hurt. So they've been, they've been really, really, really good. I, I, yeah, in my Monday column, I had a piece on there saying like, you know, we all scoffed at FPI's projections come out and Texas is like seventh or whatever. And then it turns out they've actually been one of the seven or so best teams uh, on paper, at least. So yeah, I'm not going to lie about this. I'm, I'm scared to death. Uh, Wednesday, Pete knows I made a, the bold prediction I made is that Texas is going to be the team that when selection day comes on that Sunday, that they're going to be sitting there probably five or six. That was my bold yep. prediction. And the one that everybody's saying, oh boy, you know, like USC in 2016, you don't want any part of them right now. <laughs> that said, I am scared to death that they will cough up some, you know, you know, inexplicable Iowa State maybe uh, on Saturday, some game that they shouldn't um, lose a close game, botch a game at the end because they've got a they they've got a significant track record over over the yeah. last year and a half of doing that, bowling double digit leads, spitting up games right at the end, not making the plays uh, to finish games. Um, but they they look real to me yeah. in, in terms no, of the way and, they play. Yeah, and after after Iowa State, it's at Oklahoma State and at Kansas State. Um, for, you know, and, and we're still in that whole for the last time as Big 12 members kind of run here. And those are two intense crowds anyway. So they have their way. If they're really not very good in close games, if they're going to figure out better, more ways to 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 kind of screw those games up, they've got plenty of those games left. And it, so it could fall apart. But, man, they've been good. Pete, how, how did you do last week in your picks? I, I actually don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> I, don't was, I, was, I was curious about that. We have to have some kind of like scorecard that we can sort of peek at. I don't think I was terrible. Um, I did win my lock cause I had, I, I got Ohio state at a good price. Um, I think I had them at 27 and a half and they won by 28 and it ended up, the line ended up around 31. It got bet up. So I was glad that we, uh, we locked that in on Wednesday, but I think I was, I was, 
I was not as terrible in my mind. Uh, Taylor, would you uh, would you agree with that? Yeah. So we had our first push of the season, which was interesting. Um, uh-huh. The line for TCU Kansas was TCU minus seven. Uh, it got bet to seven and a half after the fact, but um, so that was our first push of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see, Pete and Reese both four, three, and one, and then okay. Bill three, four, and one. So how, tight last. How did Thanks Oklahoma, time. Bill? Thanks Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, what, that's uh, right. <laughs> what about what about what about the locks? Do you uh, is that included in the record? That is included in the record. So last week, okay. uh, you guys, Reese and Pete, you guys both hit your locks. Reese, you had Clemson, Pete, Ohio State. Bill missed on his with Auburn. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was <laughs> Auburn scores that late touchdown. I'm like, see, I, this was perfect. I said 24 to 28, and then Georgia scored again and blew it all up. <laughs> Man, that's a that's that's a difficult situation there. You know what? Here's the we talk about upsets every week. You know what the biggest upset of the season is to this point. This one's by, easy. By number, what is the biggest upset of no, the season? No, that's not what I asked. The biggest upset of the season is that Wisconsin has fired his coach and Auburn hasn't. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That, that, oh, man. <laughs> you you would have got long odds on that. I mean, that's, yes. that You are a thousand percent, a thousand percent correct. So, Pete, what do you have on, on this game that we're not going to pick? But this all this, this might be a something has to give game. Rutgers and Indiana. Why? Because after beating Nebraska, teams are one in 12, and no Power Five team has a win after beating Nebraska. (laughs) Georgia Southern has one, but they're one in three. So maybe something has to give, but you know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is a lot for Indiana because everybody loses after they beat Nebraska, and Rutgers hasn't done that yet. So give me a quick pick there that won't even count. My favorite part of this game is that it is nice to see the Big Ten acting like the SEC. All right. You have the Paul Christ firing, which was straight out of like an Auburn coordinator fever dream in the Tuberville era. Right. Tony, then, Frank, Tony Franklin packing boxes on a Sunday. There yeah. you go. There you go. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, you have Rutgers firing its offensive coordinator on Sunday and Indiana firing its offensive line coach installing Rod Carey. Uh, Rutgers obviously uh, took former interim Nunzio, Nunzio Campanelli will take over the reins of the uh, of the Rutgers offense this week. So you have you have shake you have the shakeup game here. You have two two totally different uh, you know feels coming from these two offenses. But it is it is it does speak trend wise. Those types of pressures didn't exist when you were a lower tier conference team twenty years ago. Have, now, have you, because financially you're in a completely different sphere, <laughs> you can fire Sean Gleason, pay him about a million and a half bucks to go away, and bring in somebody new because there is that pressure. I mean, look, Rutgers had back to back. Again, uh, I know Mickey Joseph mocked the sellout, but they had back to back great crowds and like real looking environments for Iowa and Nebraska. So you could like the fan base wanted results, and there was a pressure to produce them um, for for Greg Schiano. So have, have, have you guys ever been to a concert where there was uh, maybe a superstar act coming and then the opening act was was brutal? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, you've yeah. Done, sure. You, you've done. Well, that's what we're doing right now. 
when we're talking about <laughs> Rutgers hey, in Indiana. You just dropped a little Rutgers Indiana nugget in front of me with no preparation. I, so. It's my fault. I brought yeah. it up. I mean, it's yes. my fault. I brought it up. So boo, let's let's boo Rutgers in Indiana off the stage. And Taylor, let's uh let's make some let's make some selections for this monumental uh game on Saturday. And by the way, that one's on me. So I never <laughs> I never should have brought it up. But I did like I did like the I did like the little nugget. I wanted to make sure we got that in this week. Fifteen yard penalty for bad hosting. <laughs> hey, 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 don't get carried away there, Rook. Come on. <laughs> what do you got, Taylor? If we're issuing apologies here, I think um, Pete deserves to issue one to the Red River rivalry. Um, I kind of lost the picks last week. I had to do some audio archaeology to find everyone's picks. And last week, Pete is like, this will not be a blowout. No chance it'll be a blowout. So I thought that was uh, interesting. Did I really? Back. Yes, you did. It was it was quite funny to listen to. But I you didn't pick Oklahoma. I picked, I picked Texas. You did? No, I really... You, you did pick Texas, but I'm just saying you were talking about the game in general. You just said there's no Well, the no game way. in general had not been a blowout. So right, that would have been right. why, no. I, why I might have... Why I, well, look, I mean, if anyone's listened to our Friday pod this season, they know they're going to get bad predictions from me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. I think and that's... It was just a yeah. funny, funny snapshot of the moment. Oh, there. please. I take I will take all the all the bad prediction vitriol. I deserve it. There, there's um, I was no, just glad I got it right. There's no... Uh, there are no laughing moments or bad predictions in the race for the ribeye loser has to buy the winner's ribeyes at the end of the season because we believe in steak and steaks on this Who's podcast. In the lead? Who is in the lead? So right now, uh, actually this past weekend amongst the three of you, Bill and Reese tied at 28 and right. 34 and Pete, oh, three games back. So this is basically people are listening to Indiana Rutgers yeah. <laughs> in terms of picks. <laughs> I think it's quite valuable. People listen. Maybe they'll get a few nuggets where, you know, the things that we are good at, that we can share with them. And then they can say, well, I can make some money by going against these guys' picks. So we do have to, we'd have to figure out a tiebreaker here for when we all tie at like 10 games under 500. Yeah, yeah that would be Figure sad. out how we're going to break that. Consult the Big 12 office. They're really good at those. <laughs> <laughs> They're down. open for business. All right, Taylor, let's have That was a good games. line in the show, by the way, Reese. I, I caught that. <laughs> he inter- uh, Pete interviewed uh, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark, and I think I threw it to him saying, referencing open for business or something. Put a smile on my face. Yeah. So. Did it, did it, did Brett laugh? I did think he, he did. Notice? Yeah. I think did he, he did. Okay, I was just about to like start, the, it was sort of like an awkward kickover, and I'm like not a natural host like you. So I was like pretty focused on like not screwing it up. So I wasn't <laughs> like probably as engaged with him interpersonally as I should have been. But uh, yeah. yeah, look. I mean, you're you're crushing it. I mean, you want to talk about straight up arrow, straight up on. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm not I'm not making fun. I like to joke around with Pete and everything, but the information obviously is ultra elite, and it has been forever. But the the on air capabilities, stellar, stellar. That's been proving every 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 time, every rep. Mark of a mark of a smart guy and talented guy. That's what it is. We thank Trish for the tie knots. That's really the uh, that's really where the where the difference has been made since week one. Well, so. it's important. It's an important <laughs> thing. You don't want to go out there looking looking like you don't know what you're doing. So with the with tie knots and stuff. All right, Taylor. For the third time, I've asked you for games, and and I keep interrupting <laughs> you. So uh, talkative and undisciplined. That's the subtitle of this uh, of every podcast that we do. Give us a game to pick. 
All right, Penn State going to the big house. Michigan, a seven-point mm-hmm. favorite. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. This is the game that on Wednesday on the podcast, I said I was grinding over a lot. Michigan leads the nation in completion percentage, so it's almost silly to you know say that you're wondering about their passing game. I mean, there's been a lot of talk. McCarthy even talked about it in the news conference this week about downfield shots and things of that nature. Corum has been as good as any running back in the country. Um, but Penn State's going to be hard to run on in that situation. I think this is a close defensive game. I think Penn State's a little bit better um, than maybe they're getting credit for, and I think this is um, this is the first all-around test for Michigan. Michigan's offense certainly had a test in playing Iowa, but the all-around test for them. I'm going to take Penn State in the points because it, it's a full touchdown. So I'll, I'll go with the underdog on the on the belief that this is going to be a very close game. We chatted about this a little bit on Wednesday's pod. Um, the history of Penn State going to Ann Arbor, COVID excluded, uh, really scares me. That James Franklin has laid a few dinosaur eggs in this, uh, you know, in this series. If you, if you go back to uh, 2018, 2016. Um, so that said, I think I'm going to take Penn State in the points too because this Michigan team to me reminds me of like an NFL style team that is designed to win and not win pretty. And I watched a bunch of that Indiana game on uh, on on Saturday, and they eventually did pull away at the end. But there are some like Ferencian Wisconsin like fundamentals that this Michigan team, as it shifted stylistically last season to much success has uh, has adopted and taken. So I think that Michigan is going to struggle to run the ball. Um, look, Michigan has the Michigan's numbers are hard to digest because they they've come against such poor competition. Now, you can knock Auburn, you know, as a Penn State game, but at least there was like intent there and they had to go to a hostile environment and win. And they also have gone to Purdue, which is a very good team. And they gone there and they figured out a way to win. So they are actually road tested. They are going to be able to control the ball. They are they are going to be able to control Michigan's rush uh, attack. I feel very strongly about that. So I don't know if Penn State's going to win, but I think they're going to hang around. I think we're going to hopefully see more than 12 carries for Nick Singleton. That's what he's averaging a game. And I think if Penn State is going to go there and win, he's going to have to have a breakout, breakthrough, supernova kind of performance. And uh, I trust Sean Clifford managing games on the road, winning, not making the big mistake, right? Like, I don't think they will dumb lose this game. So I will take uh, I will take the Nittany Lions. And you know what? Just for fun, just to be a little different, I'm going to take them to win outright. Wow. Yeah, that's not going to surprise me. Um, I do think Penn State is better than uh, they get credit for uh, so far. And, and I'm part, part of that's their own fault. Like they messed around with Central Michigan for a while. They, you know, it was a big sloppy game against Northwestern and they, you know, they didn't have to take all that many chances because they knew they were going to win, but it still wasn't very impressive. So um, I, 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 I think Penn State's better, and I still am going to take Michigan because of the matchups. Um, I think in the end, it, it, this is my biggest concern with Penn State is along the line of scrimmage. I do think they've improved in the, uh, in run defense, and and so maybe Michigan can't get away with just at whatever they want there, even though they've been super efficient running the ball. But I'm really concerned about the fact that Penn State's offensive line. I still, I just still don't think it's very good. And Michigan has really lived up to like all the turnover they suffered last year. They've been 
pretty much dominant when it comes to the run defense. And if, if this is a situation where there are a lot of second and nines and third and eights and Sean Clifford is having to make plays and that pass rush, they don't blitz a lot, but when they do, they get there. And so I, I feel like this is just a, ma- a bad matchup for Penn State and, and Michigan wins by, you know, 10 to 14 because of it. But I am excited because we're going to learn a lot about Penn State. And the other thing that brings me comfort here is, you know, Michigan runs the ball really well, but they, they you know, last week that wasn't going as well as they thought. They basically asked J.J. McCarthy to go win them the game in the second half, and he went like 15 for 17 passing. So I think there's upside that they're still tapping, and in the end they take this one uh, comfortably. I think what you really want to see is whether uh, Penn State, which they've been really good at creating turnovers and not giving that many of them away, but well, they turn it over a couple of times so Michigan can break out the turnover buffs on the sidelines. You guys seen those? The the Cartier the Cartier glasses that cost I don't know three or four thousand dollars. How much ever they cost when you get one? That's their that's their thing. They go they go put on the turnover buffs. That's what the glasses are called. Interesting. Uh, they asked they asked Harbaugh about it in the news conference this week, and he's like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." And they're like, <laughs> "They're like, oh, the sun, the the sunglasses." And it was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." He said he loved them. So, but neither of these teams have both these teams have pretty good turnover margins. Anyway, I just wanted to mention the turnover buffs thing. You imagine that three thousand dollar pair of sunglasses on the sidelines of a football game? That's a, that's a I do believe disaster. that Jim Harbaugh didn't know what they were called though. I, I I didn't either when when they first came. I I knew the sunglasses, but I didn't know that's what they were called. So I I educated myself on that. What do you got, Taylor? It is good. Kansas going to Oklahoma. Oklahoma a nine point favorite. I feel like this hinges on. Look at Bill's face. Kansas's quarterback health does uh Pete Thamelclaws have any information on that? We'll go Pete Bill Reese. Uh I do have some information on that. Uh Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels is doubtful for the game on Saturday. Uh, I don't expect him to play. Um there was a report that emerged uh on Tuesday night that said he was out for the year. Um that was pushed back on by Jalen Daniels himself on Twitter. With a, with a vicious little subtweet, um, he said it was news to him. So uh, parsing all these, uh, all, all this, all the different information here, uh, I really feel like Jalen Daniels is hurt of some significance. It's been the year of the shoulder injury, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like we've had shoulder sprains, AC joints. They've kind of, it's kind of been, uh, it's been a little bit of an unfortunate theme this year for some of the more talented signal callers in college football. It sounds like Jalen Daniels is going to be out for a while but maybe not for the season. So now what is a while? Is that two weeks? Is that three weeks? I don't know. But like this, this is not something that he is going to bounce immediately back from um, maybe as uh, maybe as some had hoped. So uh, that said, I'm going to start here. Like there is no way I am picking Oklahoma as a favorite ever. You know, just the, the way that defense is played. It has been a disorganized, disheveled mess. They are not playing with any distinct or discernible spirit. I mean, Kansas almost won this game last year with a much different roster, culture, et cetera. I, I think the one thing we have seen from Jason Bean is that he's played a lot of football. He certainly, whew, that throw he threw in the back of the end zone to uh, in, in sort of the back and forth. I mean, he's he's made some monster plays. Like, I have full confidence in him gaining yards and moving the ball, um, using Anaconda. 
Andy Kotelnicki scheme, which has been one of the best in the sport this year. And there's enough dynamism for Kansas at the receiver position and at the backs, uh, even with Hinshaw's injury, to keep moving the ball. So I don't. I think Kansas slows, and I'm not naive to think that Jalen Daniels isn't going to be a loss. But I, Oklahoma has a vote of no confidence from me every time they show up from this point out, certainly as a nine-point favorite. So no thanks. I, again, I need to think of like the principle to call this, but it's it's basically like, and this has been probably why my picks are so bad, I would not enjoy watching the game on Saturday if I needed Oklahoma to win by a certain. I would just like, I would be so mad at myself. It would just, I would just be like, what are you doing, you moron? So I just, I'm just going to take Kansas and look, I hope for Oklahoma's sake, those kids have been downtrodden. Like, I hope they, they, they show up and have some pulse and some heartbeat, but I am not going to count on them doing it. <laughs> I kind of shocked myself at my Monday column because I, I knew OU had under like three straight games have underachieved dramatically. And I knew to kind of look it up, like how, how bad is this historically? And it's basically against the, that closing line. They've, they've underachieved by 98 points in the last three games. It was, it was a decent amount against Kansas state. And then it was a ton against TCU and a ton against uh, Texas as well. Uh, 98 points in, in the last 30 years, only four teams, once ranked teams, teams that had some sort of expectation um, had underachieved by more. The, the most was 97 Texas. And that included the, what was it? 66 to three UCLA game, but then also a couple more 2011 Texas tech fell apart down the stretch and probably should have fired Tuberville, but then they kept him and he did the, and then they fell apart the next year too. And then he sneaked out the back door of that restaurant um, to go to Cincinnati 99 UCLA after they had had a couple top 10 finishes, they fell apart really quickly under Bob Toledo and 2005 Gary Bar- uh, Colorado late in the year with Gary Barnett. So basically two teams that fired their coaches, two others, or, or one, t- no, two that fired their coaches and two others that should have. That's that's not a great list to be on when you're a first-year coach. The first-year coaches list was worse. The only first-year coaches that have had a stretch like this um, in, in the last 30 years are Turner Gill at Kansas, Brian Knorr at Ohio, Vic Kenning at Wyoming, Paul Wolf at Washington State, and Ron Dickerson at Temple. Basically five of the least successful hires of the last 30 years. That's, That's a Star Wars company. bar you just described of, of five <laughs> coaches. No, By the way, I, we, we talked about this on our podcast on Monday. We nicknamed you Caveat Connolly because it was like that, that was like a quintessential statistic for you, Bill, <laughs> where you're like, well, if you take this and you take this and you take this, this is the list. So, But it was yeah. eye-opening. We're not certainly I, not, uh, you know, it was eye-opening. Me. It floored yes. me. I, I I knew to look into it. I did not. I did not know that those were the. How names do you we do that, Bill? With. I know this isn't why people are like. How do you put together a list like that? Well, we have for for gambling stuff. We actually our our chalk team has like a, a just a giant spreadsheet of the last of going back to 1978, um, huh. and I end up calling on that quite a bit because it's just really cool, and you can come up with tidbits. I I, I love the I love the tidbits, but. All, all this said, like, I know why they're still favored by nine, uh, because Vegas, just like SP plus Vegas has no idea how to handle a team that has collapsed this quickly. Um, but I think one of the other teams that was up there was like 27 ball state where they basically just, they, they hit their head on every single step on the way down. Like they didn't stop collapsing for a while after that three game span. So I cannot pick Oklahoma until I know they're done collapsing. And so, uh, you know, the backup quarterback on the road, right at nine, just like, just like the spread, like 9.4. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's impossible to actually figure this game out, but I, I'm not picking Oklahoma again. I'm not, I'm not doing what I did last week until I know they're done. This is like principle that, that 
Yeah. Yeah. Wait, this, right. this looks like one of those things where they're begging you. Uh, <laughs> to, they're begging you to take Kansas, which often leads me to the great league course. So somebody knows something and I'm going with the somebodies, but I ain't going with the somebodies. Here. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Oklahoma is going to look a lot better if Dylan Gabriel is right. ready to go and they'll put up some points. I'm uh, well documented. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a really, really good player. And certainly they don't have a backup option that they trust, which, you know, uh, I have my own thoughts about the way they handled that, to be honest with you. I thought it was pretty bad. But, and it makes me wonder about just the overall buy in if the transition is going. Um, that smoothly. I'm not worried about Venables. I think he's going to be a terrific head coach. I still believe in the hire, but um, you know this this was a this was a roster that was challenged in many areas to begin with, and they probably fooled us out of the gate a little bit. But they have been so bad, <laughs> so bad, uh, particularly on defense. That and Kansas with with being. I mean, as great as Daniels was, they, I mean, they didn't miss much of a step. So I'm look, I'm, I'm, if I'm getting points, are you kidding? I'm taking Kansas. That's a, that's an easy one, but it, it feels like with all three of us taking Kansas and somebody knowing something, you know, and Oklahoma being embarrassed, there is some power in that uh, after being embarrassed the way they were last week to respond. Um, But I'm still taking Kansas, man. No, no way around it. Yeah, somebody can enjoy watching the game knowing what they know. I'm not going to have that pit in my stomach. Yeah, right. Bye. It is good! Super interesting game out in the Big Ten West. Minnesota, a six-and-a-half-point favorite heading to Illinois. Let's go Bill Reese-Pete. Illinois' defense is so good. They they out, they out Iowa Iowa um, last weekend. And, um, you know, they can actually sort of run the ball. Like I, you know, obviously when, when you only have one weapon and is your running back, like that's only going to get you so far. Um, but they, they've been pretty legit, uh, and, and they're up to, I think 34th in, in my SP plus rankings, a very, very solid shot of, of doing some damage moving forward too. Um, I'm just going to, now that Mo Ibrahim's back from Minnesota, I'm just going to pretend the Purdue game didn't happen. I'm just going to kind of revert to my previous assumptions about Minnesota overall. Their defense is very good, almost as good as Illinois' on paper at least. And their offense just has a lot more to offer, even with the receiver injury still screwing things up for them. I just I think now that Ibrahim's back especially, I just think Minnesota's better. So we're going to go um, – let's see. So the, what, what did we say the line was, like six and a half? Yes, my numbers, my numbers say like four and a half, but I'm, I'm going to lean into that and just assume that it's like a seven to ten um, kind of range instead. I, I think I trust Minnesota. I picked Minnesota in the preseason to win the Big Ten West, and I was really disappointed by their performance against Purdue road game. This has all the makings of being one of those where you take the points because you think it's going to be a close game. Uh, Illinois ranked for the first time in 11 years. Uh, Their defense, as you mentioned, has been sensational. But I don't want to be bouncing all over the place in in support of Big Ten West teams or belief in Big Ten West teams. I'll take the Purdue game like you, Bill, as a bit of an aberration. Uh, Ibrahim being back will be a big deal. Illinois has some uh, 
some question at quarterback, although uh, Art Sikowski, you know, he's he's been in college football for 100 years, too. So it's not like they're rolling somebody out there that hasn't played if DeVito and, and Pete may have something on that. But if DeVito's not able uh, to to go, they're still they've still got a, a capable and experienced backup. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to go with Minnesota and lay it because I think they're I still think they're the best team in the Big Ten West. So this is a uh, this is a great audition for uh, for for potential Broyles Awards winners. Uh, Joe Rossi at Minnesota and Ryan Walters at Illinois. When you look at the defensive categories in college football, total defense Minnesota one, Illinois three. Passing yards allowed Minnesota two. Scoring defense Illinois one, Minnesota two. Um, so credit credit those guys for you know just sort turning those units. Um, and Walters did it in pretty quick pretty quick fashion yeah. um, to, you know, to, to two of the better, uh, you know, better units in, in the whole sport. Um, and look, they have great personnel. Illinois has great personnel on the front seven. Minnesota has sort of found a nice blend of like portal guys to fill in their defensive line to what uh, to, to do it. So um, at the, at the risk of gifting Illinois a victory here <laughs> in an upset, I am going to take Minnesota. Cause that was, that, that was my conviction coming in. It is a big number. Um, I'd be really curious what the over/under is in this game because I would think it would have to be one of the lower uh, lower numbers of the season. But I, uh, I I like Tanner Morgan managing the game. I like Ibrahim back, and uh, I I just think Minnesota is a cut above Illinois talent wise right now, and uh, th- I think they can score seventeen points in cover. Thirty nine and a half is the uh, over/under currently. It's a pretty low number. That would have to be among the 10 lowest in the sport this year, I would guess. Uh, I don't have access to your spreadsheet, but I would think that's – There can't be a lot in the 30s, right? I'm, I'm going to make a quick prediction here. Yeah. I predict that Kirk Herbstreet will take Illinois as his super dog mm. on Sunday. He loves but, him some Burt Bielma. He loves Burt, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, we, and we say that affectionately and on purpose. We all know it's Brett. Uh, but, and, and I do too. But that that's a prediction. Yeah. That's a prediction. We'll see. We'll see if that. Do I get extra yeah. credit, Taylor, if that actually comes to be on the show Saturday? And I haven't yes. spoken to Kirk about this. I never do. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right. Yeah, Devito. By the way, for those listening, pay attention close to close to kick. Uh, old Bird is being a little uh, mischievous with his uh, with his status. All right, the ting in your tang-tang game of the week. Alabama, seven-and-a-half-point favorite, headed to Rocky Top. Reese, you're going to lead us off, and you promised this might be the best atmosphere in college football this season earlier in the week. Do you stand by that? Yes, it's going to be the most vitriolic atmosphere. Loud is relative. Uh, It will be deafening no matter what, but the intensity and emotion in that stadium will be the best in the sport all year. And it'll exceed Florida, I think, because of the um, generations of disdain between those two programs. There's really not a lot of reason based on the way Alabama has played most of the year. Not that it's been bad, but in terms of really being eager to lay a bunch of points. Um, Tennessee is better on run defense than you think. And Alabama has had to rely on Jameer Gibbs. He's their best receiver and their best running back. But rely on him in the running game a little bit more than you might expect with Bryce Young at quarterback because Alabama's drop percentage in terms of drop passes is among the 15-16 worst in the nation, dropping about 9% of the passes. Wow. 
So that's uh, their their drop rate is uh, it's actually worse than that. It's 126 in the country, and <laughs> so they've had some issue at receiver. So they had to rely on the running game a little bit. And Tennessee's good on run defense. They do have some experience against the pace and the tempo, and they really slowed down Tennessee last year with the exception of a couple of explosives. Tennessee will get those because everybody on the planet, I think, is expecting the breakthrough. I'm going to take Alabama and and lay the points. Well, I guess I'm going to uh, niche myself like everyone on the planet. Uh, I feel like Tennessee hangs in. I feel like this is a close one of those – SEC games that starts in the light and ends at dark and the drama just sort of comes with the setting sun. I really feel like we are on the cusp of a, of an epic game on Saturday. And I feel like the difference in this game, and it'll be a really fascinating conundrum for Alex Golish, the play caller for Tennessee. How much do they run Hendon Hooker? Because that, you know, forever in a day, quarterback run game has been the great equalizer and you're going to have to get him out of the pocket something to get him away from from will anderson and dallas Turner. so can they use the quarterback run game as that extra option um obviously pay attention close to kick about cedric tillman's status obviously we're going to keep our eyes on bryce young but we're operating as if he's playing in that game um but i really feel like hooker's legs are going to be the difference in what I see being a, a a tight sort of teeth gnash game. I don't yet trust Alabama's corners. So for Brew McCoy and for Jalen Hyatt, I feel like there's going to be some spots and some gaps for them to to just create enough damage for some havoc. And uh, yeah, let's say let's say Tennessee hangs in there and and, and at the very least keeps keeps it close. Worth noting the ghosts of Alabama kickers past. Yeah. The ghoulish boobalises reappeared last week for the Crimson Tide, and I certainly don't have to remind people of that sordid history. So, it, worth noting. It took them, it, what it took them three or four years to get to Will Reichard, but they're always coming, aren't they? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's that. Insert bad Halloween joke here. It was almost surprising when AM didn't score in that final play because just the upset script had just been followed so rigorously for so long with the <laughs> with the missed field goals and everything else. Like it just felt like, okay, this is this is actually gonna happen. No, I, I that's a good point about the QB run game. That was something I wanted to mention about Sean Clifford in the Penn State Michigan game, too. He's barely run all year, and you wonder if that maybe changes uh, in the big games. But, um, no, I, I think Tennessee is just really good. I, I, I'm going to assume that if Bryce Young is healthy enough to be Bryce Young, that Alabama figures out a way to win. But it's not going to surprise me at all if it's in the three- or four-point neighborhood because Tennessee is just, you know, uh, it, it felt like every single week early in the season was the caveat of, I know, I know, we're doing this again, and Tennessee's going to fall apart at some point. But they've kind of earned, until they do, like they, they've earned my trust at this point. So I'm going to I'm gonna pick Tennessee to come. Cover. Um, they do defend the run really, really well. The pass, not so much. Um, they can be pretty inefficient, pretty passive in that regard, and just hoping that the pass rush gets to the quarterback. But um, no, if, if, I, I feel pretty good about that one, even if I still think Alabama is going to win. The most overlooked ranked matchup of the day, <laughs> Oklahoma State at TCU. TCU, a four-point favorite. Let's go Pete Bill Reese. Well, I, uh, fresh off seeing my football man crush, uh, Quinton Johnston, have the breakout that I long, too long predicted to happen. His 14-catch, 
200 plus yard uh, evisceration in Lawrence last week. I am feeling bullish about my frogs and uh, vindicated that one thing I actually said would happen came true this year. So um, I I feel the need to point that out because it might not happen again. Uh, I just am scared by Oklahoma's past defense numbers. And I know you can, you know, sort of chop it down to efficiency and look at total yards and they had some blowouts. Teams are passing and all that stuff. But when you're 104th in total defense and you are 126th in passing yards allowed, I just don't like the tenor of that matchup uh, for, uh, for for TCU. So I, I just think like we we learned we've learned a lot about Oklahoma here the last couple of weeks. They showed some guts against Tech coming back the way they did. They went toe to toe with Baylor and won, which has turned into a sneaky good little Big Twelve uh, rivalry, kind of a ghost of Big Twelve future rivalry. I really feel like TCU in this moment at home should be able to figure out ways to fillet that defense. And I think we're going to see a little bit of like missing Jim Knowles in, uh, in, in all this. So I am going to take the Horned Frogs to run away from the pokes. I love the, the SP plus projection in this game was the Oklahoma state 32.2 TCU 32.19. Um, oh. Just like the perfect tie pretty much. So I'm going to pick Oklahoma state. I'm going to take that hint and pick, pick Oklahoma state. It is very Noteworthy though that as often as not in this series, it's it's not a close game. Like it's gone back and forth. I think they split the last eight, but there have been a lot of 14, 21, 40 something point wins in this series. And I think that could happen one way or the other in this one too, because basically each team has one major weakness each. TCU gives up too many big plays, and Oklahoma State gives up too many big plays. So the, like, the haymaker is flying for 60 minutes in this one. And it's possible that one of them gets up and then just keeps landing those, those big shots, but I don't know who that's going to be. So I'm just going to, I'm going to ride the tie logic there and go with Oklahoma state. I'm going with Oklahoma state as well. Uh, I mentioned on Wednesday, this is the first big 12 conference game matching teams five and oh, or better since 2015 when it was TCU and Oklahoma state. Uh, that has nothing to do with this game other than the fact that it shows that with, you know, with the acknowledgement of the little slip that TCU's had the last couple of years, these two programs have been really solid for the last Mm -hmm. several years. They've been really good. They've been uh, contenders and now TCU's in a new, uh, new regime and Sonny Dykes is sort of changing the, the culture. And maybe I'm just, uh, or not culture, but the way they go about things in terms of being an offensive juggernaut, Really impressed. They looked the part on the hoof. I mean, they were impressive walking by the set on Saturday as they took the field against Kansas. They looked the part of a conference championship contending team at the Power Five level. Um, maybe I just need to see a little bit more to uh, maybe we're not quite to the the Sunny Dykes fade por- portion of the season just yet. Maybe that's not a real thing. Maybe there were just a confluence of circumstances that caused it. But I'm going to go Oklahoma State. Uh, they kind of find ways. They they make big plays when they need to. They get enough stops. Um, they sort of know who they are. Yeah. And, you know, they. I'm going to go with the Pokes and say that they really have the first statement of the season. They've had some good wins, but this one would be a big one, and people will have to sit up and take notice of them. I'm going to go with the Cow Pokes.
Our next game is NC State headed to Central New York to face Syracuse. Syracuse, a three and a half point favorite. Uh, our order here is Bill, Reese, Pete. But from Pete, I really want to hear about all your Syracuse friends trying to game out how they can get game day um, because it's going on in the ESPN offices and I cannot make it stop. And it's really <laughs> irritating me. So uh, I've. I have sources close to the unrealistic revolution uh, that you are speaking of. Um, the, the Syracuse fans try to trick game day in Syracuse into existence. They're trying to speak it into existence. And uh, again, I've made very clear on this podcast that I have less than zero say on where game day goes. Um, but I, I was with fair confidence that it was not going to go to central New York for this, uh, for this game. Now I am, excited that Syracuse is going to be a bit of a hub of activity. Like we're picking their game. They're undefeated. They're, they're hosting a relevant ranked matchup in mid October. So for that fan base, which endured Greg Robinson for that fan base, that endured most of the Dino Babers era, other than the 10 win season for the fan base that just kind of watched them slog post Paul Pascaloni. This is being billed as the biggest home game in 20 years. So I am generally excited about that. I do not think, the game day realities that were tried to spoke into existence actually had any legitimate sourcing behind them. Hmm. Um, I, I guess this is just a trust game, really. Like from a number standpoint, if you don't, if you ignore everything that happened before 2022, um, Syracuse ranks 15th right now in points per drive and sixth or 18th in points allowed per drive. NC State ranks 17th in points allowed and 72nd in points points because their offense just stinks. And, and it was, I was concerned about the hype Devin Leary was getting and about the hype that NC state was getting, because I just didn't know if we could trust their offense. It's been quite a bit worse than I expected. Um, so in theory, this all points to Syracuse, but I think of all these units that are playing really well right now, the only one I completely trust is, is NC state because they've done it more than the last month, basically. Um, so I guess I, get, I don't feel good about it. A pick either way in this game, but I guess I'm going to lean NC State just because they're getting those points, um, and 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 we'll see. But this is a, a Ronda Gadsden emerging. This is a Ronda Gadsden the second emerging for Syracuse was a humongous deal because obviously they had Sean Tucker and obviously you know Garrett Schrader is coming along, but he needed a go to to step up and when when they needed big plays against both Purdue and Virginia. They looked to Gadsden, and I think that was huge. Having two huge weapons instead of one is a massive difference. So I I, I should trust Syracuse by now, but I'm going to give it one more week. I'm going to pick NC State. NC State's offense has been maybe the most disappointing unit in the country. Now, they had some, they had some people to replace from last year, but with the return of the quarterback and they had – you know, they had some questions in the running game that they actually seem to have answered to to a degree, but the lack of productivity is is shocking. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're they can't move against good teams. They're they've been inefficient in the passing game. Now they're maybe on the backup quarterback. I don't know what Leary's status is, but you know, Jack Chambers has some four hundred yard games. I think in his past, maybe I think at Charleston Southern, if memory serves. Um, I, I'm really surprised by them, and I'm a little disappointed in their rush defense too. I mean, their um, total over yards is not that bad, but yards per carry, they're like the bottom half of the country, just past past the bottom half, and that worries me a little bit against Syracuse. 
there there is some institutional knowledge that you sort of figure NC State will win this game and, and seeing Syracuse. I'm not sure it's a legit five and oh. I mean, you know, they sort of somehow figured out Virginia. So I'm gonna go with NC State too, but I, I don't I don't like this game at all in terms <laughs> of making a pick. I mean, because I just don't know I don't believe in either of them, to be honest with you. And NC State has been has been a little bit disappointing, if not a lot of bit disappointing. So I am uh I'm gonna I've already sort of uh spoke quite a bit about this game. So I'm going to quickly point out a credit to Dino Babers, who I don't think I remember a head coach as drastically changing the identity of a program as Dino Babers has at Syracuse. Um, Now, some of that was that what they were doing on offense wasn't working. The year of the uh, not upright Tommy DeVito comes to mind when they got sacked a bajillion times and they had the worst offensive line in football. Um, they were terrible during the COVID year. And that was a crossroads. I mean, there's a chance, you know, Babers wouldn't still be the coach if he didn't have such a big buyout. But to his credit, he went and got a great offensive line coach in Mike Schmidt. He went out and got a great defensive coordinator in Tony White. They inserted the 3 3 5. And they basically went from a Baylor offense to a running program, right? They, they totally shifted their identity on offense. They totally s- slowed down. And the fact that Syracuse right now is number 10, I believe, in scoring defense. Let me make sure that's right here. Yes, they're number it's 10 in, in in scoring defense. Um that to me is 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 remarkable adjusting to what your personnel says. Like they basically said, you know what? We are not going to win playing Art Brile style mid 2000s football here, even though in theory in the dome you could have done that. It wasn't happening. They had not found the right quarterback after Eric Dungy, and they had just sputtered through a period of time in the desert there. They've come out on the other side, and in all credit to them because they've come out further. So all that said, that the thing I can't get over is just NC State beat them 41 to 17 last year in Raleigh. <laughs> and I just think the class of talent in the program at NC State, generally one to thirty, is much better than the class of talent at Syracuse, one to thirty. So and also like my eyes are still bleeding from that Virginia game, which was a lot of fun, but was not was not great football. So I just think NC State comes in, physically overpowers them, <clears throat> grinds out grinds out a 10-point win, and I don't think we should be surprised by that. It is good! Clemson Tigers going to Tallytown, three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Seminoles. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. I'm not as down on Clemson as, as some, uh, some people are, thinking that, you know, they're not uh, – that they've sort of uh, escaped it. They're not as good as they've looked or whatever. I think they're starting to look the part of contender. They've got the longest active winning streak in college football. They won 12 in a row. Uh, Florida State has not been able to win these games. They, they haven't won a game against the top four team since they won the national championship game against Auburn at the conclusion of the 2013 season. Lost their last two games against ranked opponents. Uh, they squandered a lead at North Carolina State. Second half, no point, no points, four punts, two picks on their six possessions. There's not anything that would make you think that Florida State is ready to win a game like this, except for this. <laughs> They're at home. It's their last chance. It's another mediocre season and questioning of the direction of the entire operation if they don't do something. 
I'm going to go with the last stand theory and and say that Florida State, I'll take Florida State and the points, and that's not an indictment of Clemson. I actually think Clemson is is legit, and I'm not. Uh, yeah, I know Uyangalule might not be exactly what everybody thought he was going to be when he came out of high school, but he's improving and he's making enough plays to win. And he's made he's had big moments. The the performance in the clutch against Wake Forest comes to mind. I'm going to take Florida State, uh, not because I'm totally sold, but I've got a little bit of a theme for Saturday. And some of these teams backed into a corner uh, will come out fighting with uh, with some extra vigor, and I'll take Florida State at home and the points, and that also foreshadows our next game, I believe. I feel like Clemson right now is good enough, right? At every test and every turn, they have proven to be good enough. They looked pedestrian, milk toast, averages grits in the first half against BC. And they just kind of walked all over them in the second half. They are talented enough, and their offense is functional enough. It's gone from dysfunctional to functional to be a solid team. So I am going to take Clemson in this game because I just feel like we've been waiting for this Florida State breakthrough, and I want some empirical evidence of it before before I can trust them. Now, I hope that, that Tallahassee is rocking on Saturday. I hope that you get all the feels back and all the chops back and you get some Charlie Ward tingles in your spine because a vibrant Florida state makes college football, a better place. It makes the ACC a better place. I'm hoping for Mike Norvell that this is that breakthrough where they stick the spear in the ground and go, but I have not seen enough. And I just keep thinking back to that. Their rush defense is very poor. And if Clemson is going to go win on the road, uh, I think they're 88th in the country. Will Shipley is going to bang that rock into the line. And look, everything's good enough, right? Is Clemson's offensive line elite? Nope, but they're good enough. Are their receivers like as dynamic as they were when they had Sammy Watkins and all those freaky cats? Nope, but they're good enough. And I just think if there's one thing Dabo has shown us, he can figure out ways to win these types of games. So I think Clemson goes there and wins by a touchdown. Yeah, I don't think I feel confident in anything over a touchdown. Um, but you know, what we've seen from Clemson a, and just in close games of any sort over the last decade plus, they're the best in the country at that, except for Ohio state. I think, um, I don't remember the record, something crazy, 37 and seven in one score games going back to like 2012, something like that. Um, I, 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 the, the last chance thing is real. I do think Florida state is going to be ready and the crowd's going to be ready and they're going to give the best impression of themselves, but Clemson's handled a lot of those through the years and they just kind of take some shots and then they, they wipe the blood off their face and they, they just calmly go about their business. And those crowds can backfire on you when, uh, you know, when, when you've had a couple of explosions and everything is just rolling and this is going to be the moment. And then you realize it's not going to be the moment and you can hear the the kind of oh, the buzz and the anxiety. So I think Clemson absorbs some punches, doesn't look good for a while, and then just, you know, calmly goes out and, and wins like 28-24 or something like that. So I'm going to go I – I, I, no, no blowout. I don't think Clemson's capable of that right now, but I think they win by at least four. If, if Clemson were to blow them out, um, well, the only thing I – know what happened is that perhaps uh, a certain coach in the state of Mississippi might have to make a new sweatshirt that says who's ACC and on the back I'm ACC. Mm -hmm. Do you guys see Dion's 
Sweat Church story. Uh, uh, there would be uh, <laughs> there. There might be there might be uh, some feelers starting to go out for bringing a former star home. I don't wish that. I like Mike Norvell. I think he's a good coach, but um, a blowout, not just a loss. A loss won't do that. But uh, it would it would put it would put the rest of the season in the spotlight for the Seminoles. I think if uh, if they aren't able to win, and it certainly would if they were to get spanked on Saturday night. Yeah, it's um the rest of their schedule is just peak anxiety if they lose to Clemson and they and they're now four and three. They probably beat Georgia Tech. Obviously Georgia Tech is a little more a little feistier than they were uh, a few weeks ago, but they probably mm-hmm. handle that. But my at Miami is a toss up at Syracuse is a potential toss up. Florida is a potential toss up. Like they, they like six and six and nine and three would both be on the table pretty heavily. Yeah. And those are very different things, especially when you started off four and good. Last game before we get to our locks, USC, at Utah, a three-and-a-half-point favorite the Utes are. Let's do Pete, Bill, Reese. So we are at the great moment of USC litmus, of USC toughness, of all those things we were skeptical about USC for. Their great foil lies in Salt Lake City with mauling lines on both sides of the ball, hostile environment, a corner who can cover their uh their great portal edition uh it is i'm really fascinated to it and there's the element of desperation some of that tallahassee desperation we were just talking about is going to be sprinkled uh through the mountain air on uh on saturday so all that said i have i i'm going to keep my usc skepticism and i'm going to think utah punches them in the mouth and figures out a way to either win or make this a close game uh now look Maybe Caleb and the boys are really rolling right now. But if you look at kind of how Washington State ground them out until the later parts of that game, I do think there 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 is some susceptibility still that maybe USC needs a year before it can go toe-to-toe with the old youth. So give me Cam Rising being crafty with his legs and give me uh give me some like non- insane turnover luck for the Trojans because it ha- I'm not Bill, but that's been pretty insane. Um and uh, I think Utah figures out a way. Yeah, I, it, well, it's funny. You know, this has been the game all year where, okay, finally, this is when we'll get our questions answered about USC. And then suddenly I have a lot more questions about Utah uh, after last <laughs> week. But um, I do think from a matchup standpoint, I think I, I think I still trust Utah. There's only been one really, really good road game for a road test for USC. No offense, Stanford, but that's not really – uh, a thing, especially early in the year, um, you know, and they, and they really, they struggled with Oregon state and Utah's kind of a better Oregon state in some ways, at least, especially along the line of scrimmage. I think, you know, USC has a great pass rush, but Cam Rising throws the ball too quick. They don't even try for big plays. They, they aren't good at them. They don't try for them. And I think they're going to be th- throwing the ball quickly enough to kind of keep USC's pass rush at bay. And then I think they're just going to still be better on the line of scrimmage. So I, I don't, I don't feel nearly as confident in Utah as I did a couple of weeks ago, but I think at home where USC hasn't necessarily proven they're ready, they're road warriors yet. And you, and Utah is com- pretty consistently overachieves projections at home. I'm going to, I'm going to still go with the, Utes, but that's I, I. This is one of the games uh, before the season. This is one of the games I was looking forward to the most, and I'm still mostly there, even if Utah has me a little uh, concerned. Agree with everything that's been said. Season-defining game for Utah. Desperation continuing the theme. 
backed into a corner. You're going to have an average season if you lose this game. If you're not totally out of the Pac-12 race, but you'd need a bunch of weird stuff to happen to get into the championship game for Utah. So this is it. Uh, After winning the Pac-12, going to the Rose Bowl last year and returning 19 starters, I believe, if memory serves. This is the game that determines whether you maxed out last year, hit your head on the ceiling, and that's it for this group. I don't mean for the program, but with all these guys that they weren't able to elevate past what it was last year. Got to win this game. And I think they will do it. Um, I have... I'm like you, Bill, after watching them, more questions. This is more about it being desperation, USC's biggest test, SC schedules barely in the top 100 of the country. Uh, We saw them struggle offensively on the road in what will be a similar environment when they were in Corvallis. So I'm going to go with Utah and offer the caveat that I mentioned on Wednesday. If USC wins this game, they will be undefeated without question going into UCLA. And they'll be right in the right in the mix. So this is this is a season. This is a pivotal point in the season for both Utah to salvage its season relative to expectations, and USC to guarantee a virtual lock to be in the playoff mix until that rivalry game against UCLA. All gets determined in front of the mighty Utah student section on Saturday. And I will say that the Utes. And uh, Lincoln Riley, his first loss as the head coach of the Trojans. It is good! All right, boys, who are we locking up as we head out the door here? What do we know about Will Levis right now? He's got to play, right? It's not like he's been practicing. I think that uh, for for Bill's curiosity about Will Levis, that you know th- there'll be some information coming out in the 24 hours before the game. There's yep. much more optimism. He was never playing last week. Um, they had game planned all week for uh, Kaya Sharon to do Kaya Sharon, excuse me, to go. Um, I do think there's a little more optimism generally this week at Kentucky, and and that that those investors uh, before uh, before placing your hard-earned shekels on that game should uh, should watch closely Friday night and Saturday for the uh, for the latest on Levis. Yeah, I think what I heard, like it sounded like he was practicing as of about Tuesday, and that's usually kind of a even if they're going to play all their cards close to their best moving forward. I, I think that that's probably a pretty good sign. So I'm going to take that leap of faith and say that if Levis is playing, he's not really, he's not scrambling all that much this year anyway. He's just hanging in the pocket and making throws. And if if he's in there, then Mississippi State is not seven points better than Kentucky. That's going to be my, uh, that's going to be, I assume that line, if or when it is cleared that Levis will play, that line will not be seven anymore, but uh, it has been for most of the week. And so I'm going to lean on that. I'll stay in the SEC for my lock as well. I'm going to say that, Ole Miss is a lock to cover the spread against Auburn. Auburn just, they can't score. And then eventually they get worn down and not that coaches necessarily keep up with these types of things. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think Lane has beaten, uh, has beaten Auburn yet. So there've been some wild games. They've had some misfortune here and there. Auburn has owned the series but Auburn is reeling. Um, they're pretty good on defense. They'll probably make it tough on Ole Miss to run for a while. But that number is only, I think it's only like 14 and a half. And, I mean, are they really going to keep Ole Miss at home from scoring 
31, you know, and I don't think they are. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that Ole Miss uh, remains undefeated and beats Auburn for the first time under Lane. And that that's a, that's a lot to cover that number. After what we saw last week from Kiffin, um, I can only think of one rationale for them trying to score uh, in the final minute against Vanderbilt. And it cert- it pushed them over a certain uh, number uh, in, in the, in the scoring margin there. <laughs> and, and so it sounds like that he might be a good guy to, to lean on with, uh, with, with, a, with a lock at the moment. If they need another touchdown late, they're probably going to get it. Yeah. Auburn, Auburn is like, they've had four straight games where they haven't scored 20. The last time they did that was, uh, year one post camp when they you know fell yeah. off a cliff after yeah. that and I mean it's um it's their offense has been has been difficult and painful to watch. Speaking of difficult and painful, um, that has been my that has been my process of, uh, of of attempting to pick a lock of the week. But I believe that I have found it. Uh, there is uh, there's an interesting matchup in the AAC on Saturday night, uh, Memphis at East Carolina. East Carolina has had just some of the worst luck. Um, you know, they could well be five and one um, in, in in Memphis, but frankly, has had some good fortune and they roll in there for, at four and two. Uh, East Carolina is a five point favorite at home. I feel like this is the game that East Carolina where everything comes together for them. That's a rowdy environment at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Memphis comes in reeling off that Friday night loss. <laughs> like that's the kind of that's the kind of loss that can break a program and a coach's tenure. So I feel like East Carolina can feast on the vulnerable Tigers. And uh and in in Memphis had shown some vulnerabilities heading into that game. Now they look, they dominated it for 52 minutes, but I have uh, not been sold on the Tigers, so I'm going to take the Pirates to run away. You know, the last time I was in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, young offensive coordinator for the Pirates didn't quite get the clock managed properly down the stretch, allowed UCF one more possession, and UCF won walk-off Hail Mary. Young Lincoln Riley. Was the offensive coordinator for Ruffin he was McNair. Never heard from again. <laughs> whatever, whatever happened to that guy? And his, Greenville uh, South High School. All uh, of his <laughs> offensive wizardry since the, <laughs> has, has well, come to be. Uh, yeah, Daddy Ficklin Stadium is a, a, a legit good environment. Um, would you agree with that, Reese, from calling that game there? I'm oh, sure you've been there a bunch. Abs- absolutely. They're they're wild in all sports. My uh, uh, my son played over there um, in baseball a couple of times oh. too. You think their football crowd is wild? <laughs> their baseball crowd. They've got dudes with traffic cones on their heads sitting out in the outfield yelling yelling at people. It is it's wild over there. I'm sure they love Duke there too. I mean, oh, just culturally, they they they, they do the. The the purple the purple pirates have been a bit of a conundrum uh, for the Blue Devil baseball program though uh, though CD CD did take one of their dudes yard this year so you know oh. nothing not, not that I'm bragging or anything but you know <laughs> how about that, how about that? Like a little <laughs> little dad humble brag on the well, yeah, no humble I just flat no, brag say, yeah. you'll you'll know how it, you'll know how it is when when uh, young Teddy starts swinging that bat and putting him over the fence that's uh. There's not there's not much quite like it, Pete. I'm telling you. Teddy is profiling as a DH at this point. I don't even know if he can catch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're too you're you're selling him you're selling him short. Center field is in his future. 
tracking down everything, I'm sure. He or, can't even crawl. He's so fat. So Free, like, free safety. Okay, well, maybe we play him We're at linebacker. We're not going to turn him into Mookie Betts quite yet. Uh, okay, how about maybe we'll play him at linebacker then? Yeah. He should, he should get a good score on his SAT. I think that's probably Teddy Thamel's best bet. <laughs> that's great. Fellas, good luck with the picks, at least on the ones that you made the same picks as I did. Otherwise, <laughs> I hope you miss the rest of them. So, All right. This is fun, gentlemen. We've got a great weekend in store. We've mentioned several times about the rare situations of the number of ranked teams, teams 5-0 and or better, all facing off on this glorious Saturday. The season passes quickly, so just soak it in, man. I mean, it is something to cherish and enjoy on this Saturday. We thank you for listening to our College Game Day podcast. We're available three times a week. Ask you to download wherever it is you prefer to get your podcast. For Pete and Bill and our entire great crew, I'm Reese. We'll see you out on campus someplace this weekend.